Sean from Tulsa wants to know. <laughs> um, if you have a 30-year mortgage and make one extra payment on the principal, will you pay off your house in 18 years? Um, the answer to that question is it will get paid off sooner than 30 years. I don't know if the exact answer is 18, but I mentioned the uh, calculator, um, uh, debt elimination calculator. That's a perfect example of how you could do that. You obviously know what your uh, principal payment is, not your total payment, but your principal payment. Um, what I would do is if, if my regular payment was $750 and of that, my principal portion was let's say 250, so I think that's $1,000. Um, I would put $1,000 into the debt calculator as my new monthly payment under the current interest. And I, there's another question in here somewhat uh, related to that. As far as refinancing per se, you, you only really want to refinance if you can get a lower interest rate. And I have heard it has to be at least 1% or more to make it worth your while. So let's say that the Delta, I mean, I said Delta, the, the difference between um, the interest rates is less than a percent. It doesn't mean that you can do exactly what this person is saying. Make extra payments out there, um, and then you yourself can refinance and get the get it down to a 15-year mortgage or an 18-year mortgage, um, you know, based on your own calculations. And I'll actually add on to that a little bit um, with the uh, with refinancing. Okay, if if it's something that you're thinking about or that you know you're not sure if it's worth your time I would definitely tell you to look into it sooner rather than later um, just being that for the foreseeable future interest rates are gonna go up yes. okay so it's not gonna get any cheaper for you to look into refinancing a year from now two years from now it's actually gonna be more expensive um, something that I've always done to whenever advising clients as far as hey does refinancing make sense um, I'm in you know Everybody's different, but I'm more so focused on the actual dollar amount that you're going to save to do it. So, because I get that a lot of time because people are really interested in rate. Sometimes the rate is irrelevant if it's saving you money. So, for instance, I know that I've actually had people that have had a you know, mortgage actually took some years off. Their rate didn't change or was even a little bit higher, but it actually saved them money. Okay, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, definitely... And I think that's more powerful, too, when you're talking to your mortgage broker or the bank or whoever it is that's trying to assist you with that, going through that refinance process. Just actually ask them, like, hey, can you actually give me a calculation on how much money this is going to save me throughout the life of the loan? And that's, for me, that's kind of how you'll know if it makes sense or not. Yeah, I know. I was listening to the uh, Andrew Womack uh, a podcast on one of those, and he talked about the fact that his first house was a $60,000 house and that, you know, his calculation was that it would cost him close to $180,000 uh, once the, the loan was paid off. So, you know, do the math on that one. So, you know, he talked about accelerating his payments to, to get out of debt. All right, first question. Difference in mutual fund and IRA. Second part is should you invest in IRA even if it is a small amount, say 100 to $500 a year? Okay, once again, remember, IRA is just the actual 
shelter, okay, or the actual account is not the investment. When you hear mutual fund, think of the actual investment that goes inside of the IRA, okay? Um, you know, now, what is a mutual fund? Mutual fund is basically a investment with a lot of other investments in it, okay, if that makes sense. So, for instance, we were talking about diversification earlier, right? You know, you might not have enough starting out to say, to say, okay, hey, I want to buy a little bit of, you know, Amazon or a little bit of Walmart or a little bit of, you know, U.S. Bank or whoever, right, to really get a diversified portfolio. Mutual funds are a great way to do that for less cost, okay, because in said mutual fund, you know, they could have 50 different investments inside that one particular fund, okay, so essentially they'll actually diversify it for you, and you don't have to essentially come off the coin to go out and buy all those individual investments yourself. So, so that's essentially the difference between the IRA and the mutual fund. You know, great question. Second part of the question, as far as, you know, should you invest even if it's a small amount, I would tell you yes, okay? Uh, remember from the examples, you know, even if the examples were higher dollar amounts than what you can do, just remember to start where you are, okay? Um, just simple fact, it's gonna be more advantageous for you in the future if you start where you are rather than to wait and to defer it, okay? So whether it's $100, you know, $500, a lot of times with mutual funds, um, typically they're anywhere between 500 bucks to $1,000 to actually go in and buy them, okay? And then after that, they can even, some of them can take additions for as little as 50 bucks. So any, any little bit you can put in will help long-term, so I definitely would tell you that, that if that's what you can do, if that's where you're at right now, go ahead and do it. Uh, next question is for a family with three children itemizing, does the new tax code mean we lose $20,000 in deductions because of the elimination of exemptions? Again, the answer to that is um, the yin and the yang, the give and the take of the new tax law, yes. You will lose, and I'm assuming if you're talking about your family of five and three of them are children, uh, you will lose that $20,000 um, exemption. However, uh, your standard deduction, if you're single, went from 63.50 to 12,000. If you're single, if you're married, it went from 12.7 to 24,000. So you get that benefit, and of course, if you have itemized on top of that, it's even more. But the key to it all is that the tax rates are lower. And just like if you look at the example that I provided you, uh, I didn't do one for three children and two adults, but I did one for two children and two adults. And you can kind of see the logic of how I went through that, or I'll be glad to do it for you, to, um, to show you that the tax liability uh, will be less, more than likely, at least in the first nine examples I did, they were, they were all less at various incomes. It, it does make a difference on what your taxable income is, so it's hard to answer. But yes, the, the exemption did go away. Um, I think that, hopefully that covered your question. All right, next question. My employer offers a traditional and Roth 401k. I'm in my 20s right now. If I invest in the Roth option now to take advantage of a lower tax bracket, is there any kind of penalty for switching to the traditional option later in my career when my earnings are higher. 
The answer to that question is no, but this is what they will do. So, for instance, if right now if you're putting into your Roth option, that's great. At any time, you can go in and change your contribution type to have that go into a traditional plan, and they will just have two separate accounts for you. So one will actually hold your, uh, your Roth contributions in that particular bucket. Once you switch, then they'll actually start a traditional bucket for you. Now, what you can do, okay, is they'll always keep those separate, right? Now, now I want to make sure I get my terminology right here, just because I know what I'm thinking. I just want to make sure I say it right. You can go from a traditional to a Roth, okay? So if you say, okay, hey, I've got said money in a traditional IRA, hey, I want to get the taxman out of the way and convert it to a Roth. You can do that. I would always consult somebody to talk to their tax advisor before doing so to make sure that it makes sense from a tax standpoint. Because um, just for an example, say if you've got $20,000 in a traditional IRA and you move it to a Roth, Uncle Sam's going to say, hey, you just got another $20,000 in income this year, which could have significant tax implications for you. Um, so you might be thinking, hey, I'm in a lower tax bracket. I want to do that. But if you add $20,000 in income, are you still in that same tax bracket or does that bump you up to where that doesn't make sense? So uh, definitely with Roth conversions, I would be extremely careful. But if it's just a matter of switching from, hey, I started out just doing 100% Roth. Now, now keep in mind too, inside of the 401k, income is not an issue, okay? So just know that you can continue to make your Roth contributions, okay, inside of 401k if you want, right, without any income implications inside of there. But once again, just be careful, be mindful, because I'll tell you just for my own 401k, I've got both. I've got a traditional bucket and a Roth bucket too, um, you know, just to have some yin and yang there. So it gives you flexibility too. Say when you do retire, you can say, okay, hey, I know this bucket of money, I can get to it and don't have to pay any type of income tax. This one I can wait and pull from it later when I actually have to. Um, so, so good question, but so the answer is yes, you can flip the switch, but just to be careful on how you do it. Next question is, if we, we have a credit card which has an annual fee of uh, $70, zero balance, I don't know if that means you never use it or you just pay it off every month. If we cancel the card, does it reflect negative on our credit report? Uh, interesting question. Uh, it should not reflect uh, negatively on your credit report. In fact, uh, in credit scores and credit ratings are kind of strange beast, if you will. But my answer to that is, Every card that you have, whatever the limit is on it, is what, if you ever go for a mortgage or something like that, they look at that as your potential spending, meaning that you could go for a, a mortgage for a home for, let's say, $100,000. $100, if you have two credit cards that have $10,000 credit limits on them, they assume that you can go out tomorrow and spend $20,000. So in that sense, it's held against you from a credit perspective. And I think that's the more important uh, answer to this question. Um, and I have heard those rumors that if you pull back on cards or something like that, uh, temporarily, your, your it may impact your credit score. 
but the more significant part of it is, is you are you are held responsible for under the assumption that you'll go out tomorrow and run the credit card up to the full maximum when it comes to your credit rating and credit score uh, potential. So cancel the card <laughs> if that's what you need. All right, another question. I'm in my 20s. We have a traditional IRA and also a 15-year mortgage. Should we wait until house is paid off before we consider stocks and bonds? Good question. For, for me, that kind of depends on the situation. Um, whenever I'm talking with clients, we do, I've run into that a lot. I have clients like, hey, should I pay my house off, you know, with this extra money? Like, what should I do? I'll, I'll look at it this way is say for instance if your mortgage rate is we'll call it four percent okay but on said investment whatever you decide to do you know with that excess money that you're going to take to pay that house down you're actually netting a six percent return it's actually a net positive for you to actually have the investment as opposed to paying the mortgage off so if i would say if cash flow is not an issue then you know it wouldn't be a bad idea, I would. So I kind of look at it as, you know, like you said, debt is not sin or wrong. So I even look at it as, hey, good debt, bad debt, right? If we can simple it, or simplify it. So, you know, mortgages, you know, things like that, you know, low interest rates, you know, some four or five percent, not terrible. It helps you from a cash flow perspective, you know, to do it that way. So now credit cards and all that, yeah, you need to get rid of those, okay, or at least pay them off if if you can. But yeah, having having a mortgage, you know, is not a bad thing in, in essence if you can essentially take said monies and actually have a greater return on your investment than the interest that you're paying on your mortgage. So you actually come out ahead. Um, so so definitely good question. I would tell you to kind of evaluate that um, for your own individual situation. And if you're saying, okay, hey, this is what our mortgage rate is hey, this is how long we plan to either invest this money. Because what can actually happen, too, is you can invest said money and then essentially use some of your gains or profit to pay your mortgage off down the road and then still have extra money left over after that rather than just taking it and paying it off and then having, you don't have a mortgage payment, but you also didn't put anything else back in your pocket either other than the month to month. So, so definitely look at it. Through, through that lens and say, okay, hey, for what we're paying for our mortgage, do we think we can find an investment to, to kind of outpace that? I just learned something. You and I need to learn not have to worry about our hair. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, my gra I'm graduating from high school and I will be attending college this fall. How should I handle my college tuition and expenses? <laughs> get a scholarship no, I, um, seriously um, there are a lot of opportunities out there for scholarship money that I think needs investigating I'm not an expert in that area I just know the the books written uh, that tell you all the different types that are available so I would look at that um, Good example is my nephew started uh, uh, up in Xavier, uh, up at Xavier uh, University, Cincinnati, and he, he likes to play music and played in high school. But he, he's um, going to major in finance and accounting. <laughs> and but he also wanted to keep his music 
um, skills going. And so he, you know, is in the youth orchestra, not youth orchestra, but it's just the orchestra there uh, at Xavier. And the teacher came up and said that he qualified for $1,000 off on his uh, tuition. So, I mean, those are the type of opportunities that you don't know about, and if you don't explore them, you need to. Um, now, let's say that you've still got, you know, a fair amount. I, you know, as far as uh, what the college expenses are going to be, um, there, there's nothing wrong with getting your core curriculum done locally uh, and saving money there uh, relative to your, uh, you know, uh, cost of housing and those sort of things if you're going away to school. Uh, and then a couple years from now when you really need to get into the meat and potatoes of what you're going to be um, uh, studying, then um, hopefully you have enough money at that point or have saved enough money that when you graduate from college, you're not burdened with all that debt. Um, you can work while you're in college um, also. So, I mean, there's just a lot of opportunities there as opposed to go, well, I'm going to college and it's going to cost me 20000 25000 50000 depending on where you're going, a year. And that may be way low, I don't, you know, but uh, just don't accept it, I guess is my message on that answer, is to do whatever it takes to minimize the amount that you're going to graduate with. Um, the other part of the answer to that is, do you have any reason to know why you're going to college? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a big college fan. I think that education's a good thing. But if you're going, but you have no plan, um, maybe you need to reevaluate your plan first and decide what you want to do. And there again, if you, if you don't know exactly, it's like you don't know that you want to be a marine biologist, you know, exactly, um, that's okay, but it may alter how I proceed into my freshman year of college. So, long-winded answer, but that's the best I can do with that one. <laughs> Good answer. Next question. When you retire and you have an IRA, what are some good options to move your IRA money into? Um, I'll kind of give a 10,000 foot view on this just because remember anything that you do needs to fit your individual situation. But just as far as kind of some opportunities out there um, that I know that we're doing in, in portfolios right now, kind of some opportunity is both. Um, well, mainly and more so in the international space, um, we definitely see that as far as just where interna international economies are in their economic cycle, it's a little earlier in the stage than here domestically in the U.S. You know, U.S. stock market's done well for an extremely long time. We're in the getting into the latter stages of that economic cycle where we're starting to see growth slow down. Not necessarily a bad thing when growth slows down. It's just part of it's what happens. But there's more opportunity abroad. So whoever um, is handling your portfolio or that you consult with that, uh, definitely ask them about that um, as far as, you know, hey, how much international exposure do I have in my portfolio? Um, is it prudent to, to add more to that particular space uh, just with the environment that we're in now? Um, so just from a 
equity or a stock market standpoint, you know, I know that's some opportunity there um, that we kind of see. Now, even domestically, too, um, as far as specific sectors, I guess you would call it that we still think they'll be, do pretty well. Um, I know we think, you know, banks or financials will do well, just especially in a rising interest rate environment. So just think of it in layman's terms, if I, you know, say if I run said bank, right, ABC Bank, let's call it, and I've got a thousand credit cards out there, 15% interest on all of them, interest rates go up, I don't have to sell another credit card, I'm making more money. Because remember, those interest rates on those credit cards are variable. So as interest rates go up, those credit card rates too do too. Um, so just from a net income standpoint for, for financials, uh, we think rising interest rate environment will be good for their overall stock prices. So, so kind of a 10,000 foot view um, on kind of some opportunities that we see, but you know, definitely consult with your advisor who's helping you out with that now, um, just to make sure that you're allocated properly. Okay, what do you think about reverse mortgages? Good or not so good? And the key to this question is, what do you think? That's me. I personally think they're a bad idea. Um, there, there's a lot of cost involved in setting up a reverse mortgage. Uh, they don't talk a whole lot about that. I kind of want to compare it a little bit to annuities. You know, you hear only hear the good stuff on it because it's you know guaranteed income. Um, but there is a lot of cost with reverse mortgages, and they you will never get the full equity that you have in your house back. And also, from a legacy perspective, um, when you pass on, um, you're going to leave that debt, for the most part, um, with you or with your children or whoever's going to inherit it. It's going to lessen the inheritance, I guess. So just from a personal standpoint, uh, I don't think they're a great idea. I echo said sentiment. So <laughs> that's twofold yet. Next question. Where is a good place to invest some liquid assets that earn more than the 1.5% we are getting in a CD? Uh, this is more so where time frame is important. So, for instance, I, I'm just thinking as far as, things that I do. I know, for instance, we have a portfolio that we run, and I, full disclosure, I don't want to turn this into a J.P. Morgan commercial, but anyway, so, but we have a portfolio that we run that is liquid at all times, okay, to where, you know, even with CDs, even if they're short-term, you have some liquidity issues. Um, liquid at all times, it more so invest in vehicles that act, act, that are conservative in nature to where, you know, you don't have to worry about as much fluctuation that are designed to do well, even in a rising interest rate environment. For the longest time, people think of bonds as safe investing, but you have to be careful, especially now in the rising interest rate environment because bonds and interest rates have an inverse relationship, okay? Past 30 years, interest rates have been going down, so bonds have done pretty well, right? Um, so just kind of that false notation of, okay, hey, I can't lose money in bonds. Well, yes, you can. Um, if in the, I'm, Sure, if you have any type of fixed income or bond allocation in your portfolio, it probably hasn't done as well the last year or two just because rates have started to tick up, okay? So what we've actually done is we've actually gone out and researched and said, okay, hey, for the conservative client that's looking for some return on some idle cash, what conservative vehicles are out there that actually do well in a rising interest rate environment? So we've actually compiled a portfolio 
that's better suited to have that. Now there are minimums, you know, to get into this particular portfolio. So if that's pertinent to you, we can discuss it offline. Um, but you know, there are options. And that's just I just use that as an example for something that I use on the day to day for for folks that are in that similar conundrum. Um, so I would definitely tell you to to kind of do your homework, see what's out there. But there are definitely options and alternatives that can keep you liquid and still also yield you some return, but also keep in mind too that since you are staying liquid, you're still gonna have to deal with a little bit of fluctuation and variance. Should all debt be paid off including substantial 40 to 50,000 student loans before something 401k and only investment? Dave Ramsey, uh, to never invest anything, even if the company matches with with uh, with your until you're debt free. Interesting question. Um, just in a very general sense, you want to eliminate use all your resources to eliminate debt because the theory is is first of all the debt the, the time what was the term you. The time um, value of money, I think, is what it was. Debt usually has a high interest rate associated, a higher than normal uh, rate associated with it. And it allows you longer time to pay it off. So the, what you want to do is get out from under that first. Um, and then get into your investments as far as your, your, your long-range uh, goals. Um, everybody's a little bit different on this one, but I think in general, I think you have to say, let me get rid of my debt first. Um, and I think the one common theme that both uh, Josh and I have talked about is, you know, get rid of the credit cards. Those, those are the ones that will just burn you. Um, and I'm big on... You know, did you have you bought what what you can afford? I think a real uh, introspective look at that is real important to say. You know, am I driving a fifty thousand dollar car with a seven hundred and fifty dollar you know payment? You know, that you know that's great, but it's not great. <laughs> um, but people do it all the time. I mean, it's even boldly advertised now. It used to be that they would try to minimize what they put in the paper and then the fine print says, well, if you put down $15,000, your payment's only this. Anymore, they just say, hey, it's gonna cost you $750. Where do I, and, you know, and ask for people, where do I sign up? Um, you know, that's a little bit of a rambling answer, but the answer is, is get rid of your, especially the high interest uh, debt, uh, that's got you in bondage. I mean, and, and even though you, you, it just has you in bondage, I'm just going to leave it at that. Next question. If we barely have any extra money per month after all our bills are paid, where, where do you suggest we start as far as paying off debt? Um, that's probably more of a dairy question, but I will give my two cents first. Um, with that, what I would tell you to do is, once again, kind of go from a top-down approach, kind of lay your debt out, kind of see where it is. Start with your highest interest rate and then kind of work your way down um, from that. So 
once again, normally that's going to be, you know, hey, if you've got credit card debt, that's probably going to be first on the list. Uh, but I'll let Jerry expand on that. But that's yeah. where I would start. This is where I was talking about kickstarting. This is the hard part, okay? I don't have, you know, when I do my budget, I don't have anything left. And I mean, there's, you know, that means I'm not, you know, in a retirement fund. I mean, I'm just paying my bills. How about that? Um, and you need something to kickstart it. This is where I'm suggesting that take a look around you as far as do you have any assets that, that, that you have equity in that you can sell? Because that's all you need to do is just have, you know, a few extra dollars to get it moving in the right direction. It's kind of like this big chain that's, that's on you and you're lugging it around behind you. And what you want to do is you want to start the momentum to get out from underneath that. And so what you need to do, you know, I even said, you know, for a season, you know, if you need to find a second job, if the family you know, situation allows it, to, to kickstart this thing for, and I'm talking about like six months, you know, and every dollar goes to getting this thing kickstarted. That, that is hard, the hard part of getting this thing moving forward into what is known as the snowball effect. So, you know, you can lay it out. I agree with Brother Lott, uh, Josh. You need to lay it out and, and see and categorize it and say, this, these are my credit cards. I got three of them. Minimum payments equal $100, um, which is the one that's costing me, you know, that, that I can double up on, you know, if I sell an asset or put it, you know, get my, my tax refund or something like that. You just need something, a little bit of momentum to get it going. And then it will take off from there. Next question. Uh, I had a question as far as, or I just kind of generalized it. So as far as like with commodities, commodities trading, um, foreign exchange trading, I know the newest little bit that's out there now is like with cryptocurrencies and, and all that. So just as far as like, you know, trading like metals and things like that outside of just your typical gold and silver. With that, that is, you know, in my opinion, is it the most efficient? No. It's an extremely volatile market segment of business. Now, granted, too, this is where I'd say, you know, you kind of got to step back and, and pray about it and kind of get that inner witness if that's something you should be doing or not. Just because, just from the natural, it's extremely speculative, um, especially with when you get into foreign exchange trading and, and all that. I would I always try to make sure with my clients' portfolios that at least they have a general understanding of what they have. And to where if somebody asks them, hey, how are you set up or, you know, kind of what, they don't have to say, hey, these are all my holdings, but they can say, okay, hey, this is how my financial advisor has me set up. This is how it works. If you don't under, have a general understanding of how it works, I would be extremely cautious. Because um, I do it for a living, and even some of this cryptocurrency stuff, and for, I have zero idea how it works. So I, I, I would just advise you to be careful, is, is all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. Commodity trading is like, it's gambling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The very first job I ever had out of college was a company called Continental Grain Company. It didn't have anything to do with healthcare. Um, and I, I spent two weeks in New York. Um, studying commodities trading, <laughs> and I left really quick. I think I lasted like six months. I said, this is not for me. I came back to Louisville. Okay, zero-based budget. Um, 
what would you recommend for, oh, somebody who has flexible um, income? That, that is a tough one, um, meaning that it's somewhat unpredictable. The last time I did this um, uh, presentation, I forget how many years ago it was, um, we talked about flexible income, especially salespeople uh, sometimes have wild swings. But you do have a track record, or you should have a track record, of what your income was. So even though you can't nail it to the penny or to the dollar, uh, you do have a track record of what it was maybe for a quarter or maybe for a, you know, a half a year, something of that nature that you can base. You know, the easy thing to do is go, you know, my, my income is just too, too variable. You know, this, it, which is what you're saying is, and I don't mean that you're saying this, it's too hard and you can't do it. Yes, you can. Uh, you just need to know um, what your track record is for it over a period of time. So, I mean, you brought in $1,000 one month and $5,000 the next month and $3,000 the following month, and, and you've got a track record of that over like a year, you know, when you look back on your income, then you can predict. And I think what you do is you, is you t look, take a real hard look at your um, your giving and your fixed expenses on something like that. Because uh, the other part of it is, is that from a credit perspective, you know, if you were to go, you know, get a car loan or something, you can't say, well, I can't tell you what it is because really it's too unpredictable. <laughs> um, you know, that's not a good answer in that environment. So there is an answer to it. You just need to work a little bit harder to get it. You mentioned getting tax man out of the way with <laughs> Roth IRAs, uh, but did notice on the last slide the IRA that was tax deferred had the most money. Good question. So knowing that too is this is where longevity and time comes into play. So say if I've got a Roth account with $400,000 and a traditional account with $500,000, okay? So kind of look at, okay, normal person would say, hey, I want the one with the most money in it. Right. Also got to keep in mind that as you withdraw from that larger account, you're going to pay the tax man. OK, so over time, you know, even though that end number might be a little bit greater over time, that's where you have to kind of weigh the cost benefit and say, OK, hey, is it more efficient for me to go ahead and make Roth contributions if I'm if I know that I'm on a career path where I'm going to be making money more money than I am now? That makes sense, you know, but if you're at the point to where, okay, hey, it's not tax advantageous for me to do so, then a traditional is fine. So just to explain the variance, it's more so of a time thing. So yes, somebody that just strictly does traditional at the, at the end of the day, whenever they quit or retire, odds are they'll probably have a higher balance than somebody that did the exact same investment, or they will, the exact same investment with Roth contributions. But then again, the advantage the person that has the Roth has is that they can now withdraw from that tax-free to where the one with the traditional, they have to pay income tax on every dollar that comes out of that account. The next question has to do with the 529 account uh, change from just being for college to being for K through 12 for private schools. 
Um, I was told that you don't have to let the money set in that account before you take it out to pay for school. Question is, can I just deposit my daughter's school monthly payment in each month and then turn around a few days later and pay her school payment out of that account directly, or does it have to stay in that account for a length of uh, time for using that money to pay for her school payment? Um, again, um, uh, th th that is dependent on, on each particular uh, uh, state plan, but my understanding, and somebody, whoever wrote this will, will see me, uh, let me know who it is, I'll get you an exact answer. My understanding, which could be incorrect, but my understanding is it has to sit in there for a period of time, and I think I remember reading something about a year or two. Uh, but I, you know, sounds like they were told something else, so it probably is worth investigating. But I would find it hard to believe that you could use it as a passbook savings account yeah. and still take a 20% tax deduction on it. It just usually that's one of those things that's just too good to be true. <laughs> but you know, stranger things have happened. What is the best thing to do with $2,000 in 10 years? Um, so that, hey, we're willing to, to see some fluctuation with the objective of growing it. And Scott, what would you do with it as a teenager, being 50, being 65? Um, it depends on the scale. Um, you know, $2,000, you know, if you've got another, call it $100,000 somewhere else, $2,000 is not a big deal. But if $2,000 is what you got and you only got another $2,000 saved up, that's a larger portion of what you have. Um, so that is relative, but let's just say an ideal situation, it's just $2,000 and you're fine otherwise. Um, I would tell you to you know, probably be as aggressive as you want to be, you know, especially if you've got 10 years. I, I would say probably in a 10-year investment, probably the best thing to do it you know is kind of have a, a, a mix somewhat of, of stocks and bonds but you you could be err on the side of being a little more aggressive to have more of a growth component just because you're going to have enough time to kind of ride out you know the good days and the bad and honestly there's more good days than bad days so <clears throat> so yeah over a 10-year period I, you'd be fine doing an aggressive investment with that um, especially if you knew that you were fine otherwise and had other assets set aside Next question, my wife and I are putting away as much cash as possible for a down payment on a home that we will purchase in a year or two. This is actually more of a Josh question here, but uh, I'll go ahead and give my two cents. Uh, where, should, where should we put that kind of money? Is there some kind of short-term investment that would work for this money? I'll just give you a, kind of a personal uh, uh, answer to that. Uh, when I retired uh, from rest care, I had uh, some money in uh, what's called a non-qualified uh, retirement plan. Um, and so what happens when you retire, then that money gets released and comes to you in that year and becomes taxable that year. And it is probably money that I'll probably need here in the next year or two. Um, and so I uh, was working with Josh on it, and, and he said, sure, you know, we've, we've got some some uh, investments that um, that we could put it in that they're hardcore, what I call hardcore investments, I mean, they're like real live investments, not you know, like a passbook savings or a CD or something. And um, as you mentioned, you know, a couple of clicks uh, of the button come in two years from now, if I need a 12th of that or 124th of that or something like that, then uh, you can just switch it over and put it in my checking account. So. Yeah. Yep, I, don't know, so I don't know what kind of investments. I, you 
Right. It, kind of forgot of, what it was. Sure. It kind of <laughs> falls along the same line as far as with the question with the uh, CD that was paying one and a half percent. Similar type of investment. Something conservative. You know, especially if the need for the money is in the relative near future. We probably wouldn't want to do anything to where you know a hiccup could happen two weeks before you need your money, and now all of a sudden you've got. 20% less than what you put in. So that's what we would definitely want to avoid. So, um, so yeah, definitely something extremely conservative in nature, you know, that's designed to, to generate some interest, but at the same point in time remains liquid for you too. How much money can I make in cash before I need to report it? Now, I, I can make this a real simple answer, <laughs> or I could read into it <laughs> and come up with a very, you know, ask a few uh, 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 other questions. If that is your only income is cash, <laughs> I think from a 1099 perspective, I think the limit before you have to is $4,600 before somebody has to send you a 1099. But technically, all income is taxable with the federal with the government. That's the right answer. Okay, so um, I, there's like 15. When when you open up a tax return, which you know who reads those? Um, <laughs> there's like 15 questions under. Do I need to file? That you have to answer to decide whether or not you have to file. And I think one of them has to do maybe with um, some type of income. The rest of them are, you know, are just bizarre type things, but you have to answer them. So the answer to your question is all income is reportable. Okay, now, if you're mowing grass uh, as a eight-year-old, 10-year-old, or whatever, we're not talking about that. Okay, so that's my answer. Stick. And I'm out of questions, Jerry, so I think that last one's for you. I got one more here. Awesome. Um, and there's like four of them on here. <laughs> <laughs> Good one to end on. I don't know. This, this is a tough one. Um, well, first of all, and we talked a little bit about this, how do you build credit and what do uh, credit scores reflect? Uh, you build credit by paying your bills on time, um, not overextending yourself. Um, those just basic fundamental, you know, take care of your bills and pay them on time and don't be late. That's how you build credit score, uh, good credit score. Um, and I'll interject too. Because um, I know that, you know, as far as just even for me personally, my own personal situation, like the hardest part with credit is actually getting started. You know, because the hardest thing is like, okay, hey, I'm trying to establish credit, trying to establish credit, nobody will give me any credit. So typically what I would recommend is to start extremely small, so typically things like, you know, like a gas card or something like that, you know, to where, okay, hey, I'm going to get a BP card and put my gas on it every month and then just pay it off in full to at least start building a credit score. Because um, I promise you more or less, because those things are normally more or easier to attain than, say, if you go to a bank and ask for a credit card, just the credit requirements are a lot different. So I would probably say to start there, either with like, you know, something that, okay, hey, like a gas card, just as an example, says, okay, hey, I'm going to put my $100 in gas this month on there, pay it off each month. And you'll be surprised how quickly you start getting credit card offers from everybody else once you start doing that. So 
So what, so what that means is that you are establishing credit, your credit is being reported to agencies, credit card companies are getting win, and that's kind of how you know that you're on the right path to establishing credit, especially if you have no other debt, so you don't have any student loans, you know, don't, you know, you're paying rent, so you're not, you don't have a mortgage or anything like that that's credit reportable, I would tell you that's probably a good place to start. It's just somewhere small like that. Uh, the second, whoever wrote this, uh, they will see me afterwards because I, I don't understand the second part of this, but the third and fourth one, tips for buying a house as a single person and tips for paying off student loans. Um, if I'm understanding, um, the, the tip for buying a house as a single person really shouldn't be any different from the tips for, you know, if you're married or, or whatever. I don't think that makes a difference. Um, you're going to, obviously, if you get into the mortgage uh, issue, you're going to have to come up with a down payment. But again, it's all about minimizing as much as possible your debt. And so the more from a down payment, if you're 50% there or 25, you know, because again, what will get sold to you is the minimum amount of money down and the most house that you're credit will allow you to buy and so they'll put you up here uh, whether it's a car or whether it's a, a house so if you have to rent for a while um, Indiana actually lets you deduct rent on your income taxes um, which is kind of interesting so it's not like you're losing anything you aren't building equity I mean I understand that too but but you, you forego that by not by, by not getting obligated over a longer period of time, um, and again, if, if you do go that direction, um, you know the, the the lowest amount of years that you can go, fifteen years, something like that, ten year even is good. Uh, but don't you know if they require a ten percent down payment? Oh wow, that's all I got to do? No, go. Go 20, 25, you know, go as much as you can, you know, be disciplined about it. Um, you know, I just, it, this is so hard in, in a way because I grew up thinking, my thinking was that everybody has a house payment and you're going to have a house payment until the day you die. And you're going to have a car payment every month. I mean, Lois, I remember you and I have you know, you're going to have a car payment. Now, I've changed that to say, yes, you're going to have a car payment because after I pay off my current car, I'm going to make myself a car payment, and I'm going to put that, and then I'm going to go pay cash for that booger next time. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's how you have to, to approach it. But um, this is the change of mindset. It, it's, it's getting out from what everybody else says is okay. You've got to make sure it's okay with you and God. So I, you know, I hope I answered that. On tips for paying off the student loan, I'm not sure that there's much of a difference between the student loan and any other type of loan. You know, you need to prioritize that um, and, 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 and try to uh, put that into your debt elimination plan. Uh, unless I'm missing something here, and again, if I am, please see me on it. But I would treat that as, as uh, with any other debt. I will say this, student loan interest on, on uh, also tax deductible nothing but so while you're making those payments and you're trying to get out don't forget that you can you know uh, use that as a deduction also and I point that out just so you can you know, minimize the negative impact that uh, loans have
And just real quick on the mortgage, but I would tell you to also do your research because um, there are programs and things like that out there that assist first-time home buyers um, as well as give you spe special exemptions. So, for instance, you know, I've, because friends of mine ask me all the time, well, they did a few years ago, um, as far as like, hey, I'm looking to buy my first house and like, hey, I can afford a payment, but like I just can't budget to, to save up a down payment. Um, you know, something that's kind of on a personal note, like for my house that I'm in now, actually qualified for what's called rural housing, which rural housing is a state program that Indiana has to where they in the state will actually pay your down payment for you. The only obligation is you have to stay in the house for at least five years or you have to pay it back. Um, so for me, that was a no-brainer just because I looked at it as like, okay, hey, I'm paying set amount in rent. I'm not getting anything in return for it. I don't have my own space. You know, hey, I had an issue at the time as far as the down payment. Hey, if I know I'm going to be here, you know, for an extended period of time, longer than the five years, hey, I can do that. And then actually my house payment was less than what my rent was, looking at it holistically. So, I mean, there are some things, you know, out there. You know, of course, try to minimize your debt as much as you can. But, like, if you're either in a bad space and say, hey, I, you know, either just a bad environment or just, kind of want to do your, just research and see what's out there because I know I'm sure most banks probably have some type of first-time home buyer assistance program and even government does too um, for specific areas to where they'll do that so because you want to be careful because like you said as they sell you that lease money down most house you can buy Part of that payment, especially if you don't put a lot of money down, is going to be mortgage insurance, which you don't have to have, which is a pain in the neck. <laughs> I don't have it's it, but, I, but, but, I, but I've dealt, you know, I've had clients come to me and, and say, hey, we've got this private mortgage insurance on top of our, you know, mortgage and interest payment on top of our escrow. Like, how can we get rid of this thing? So, I mean, it, just be extremely careful as far, especially when they're starting to talk about, you know, minimizing you know, your down payment, if, if any. Just read the fine print, but there are things out there uh, that are designed to help you in that space. Any questions from the audience? Worn you out? <laughs> so, I think we're good. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, what, what I would tell you is just to, uh, once again, that's when it's best to kind of focus on your time horizon. I mean, what happened a couple weeks ago, I mean, it was all speculative. I mean, there was concerns about, you know, get into it a little bit. But so, for instance, jobs report came out, you know, unemployment was down, wage growth was there. On the service, you're like, hey, that's a good thing, right? Stock market doesn't like it because they're saying, okay, hey, that could be a sign of inflation. Okay, so inflation's been up historically low, kind of caused some ripple effects in the stock market. Now, I do understand that, yes, at some time there's some big fish that can kind of swing the pendulum, you know, just at the stroke of a pen or click of a button. But that's when it's best to remind yourself or get with whoever is working with you as far as to make sure that whatever your allocation is, as it may be, is still prudent to your plan. Because even when we run plans, we also account for down markets 
in our plans that we run. So that way, I like to call it, we weatherproof the portfolio to say, okay, hey, when down markets happen, because they will, we've planned for it, we're okay. We're expecting it to come. Where the, where the anxiety comes in is when you really don't know where you stand. So you're saying, okay, hey, you know, markets pull back 10%. If it pulls back another 10%, okay, hey, now my $100,000 is now $80,000, am I gonna be okay, am I gonna run out of money? You know, to whereas if you have a plan, you can say, okay, hey, my advisor has planned for this, you know, okay, hey, this is what they're doing to kind of mitigate that impact for me, or saying, okay, hey, this money's gotta last me another 30 years, 20 years, and that's where a lot of retirees mess up, is they think, okay, hey, I'm retired, I just need to go, conservative or just move everything to cash and, and live off that. Now, if that works for your situation, by all means, but also gotta be sure too that, okay, hey, you might be around another 30, 40 years after you retire. You know, I'm just using, and I'll use a big pot of money, so we'll call it $300,000. If you live another 30 years, say just flatline, that's only 10,000 bucks a year that you have. So you're going to have to do something to stretch that money. So I, I, long-winded answer, but I would just tell you just to, if you don't have a plan, to establish one. And if you do, just to follow up with whoever helps you with it, just to make sure that you're in a good position, both parties, to, to accommodate for that. Because you'll see that. I mean, six months from now, something else could come up too. So there's always something going on. So just make sure that you've got a plan that's got you covered in any circumstance. Yep. Time is your friend. Like, you know, just I always say, I always reference that slide as far as, you know, once again in a diversified account over the last 70 years, never been a five year rolling period where you've lost money in a 50 50 account. Now, there's ebbs and flows in between, you know, but once again, just to keep that long term mindset and you'll be fine. Any other questions? I think we're good, Brother Sean. They said if you had some personal questions for